This evening we'll continue our study of parables and we're going to be looking at the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20 and that will be the source of our study tonight. And tonight we have a, a unique blessing. Mingu is actually going to direct us in our study tonight uh, and he's going to be leading us in the, in the direction that we go. So that I'm going to turn it over to Mingu at this point. parable is uh, a bit unique uh, because it is given as an explanation of, uh, of a verse. Actually, it is chapter 19, verse 30. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And so at the end of this parable, uh, Jesus says again, so the last will be first and the first last. So obviously, this parable is an exa uh, explanation of the, uh, of the words of Jesus. Okay, so, uh, we may need to start from the previous section, uh, chapter 19. You know, you know this story. Uh, a rich young man uh, came up to Jesus and asked the question, what a good deed must I do to have eternal life. And Jesus answered that, you know, you have to keep the commandments. And, and the young man said, I kept all commandments. And what shall I do more? Or uh, what do I lack still? And Jesus said, and go and uh, sell all your properties and uh, distribute it to the poor and come back and follow me. And, and the young man uh, couldn't do it and he went away from Jesus sorrowful because he had a lot of things. And then uh, uh, Jesus told the disciples what it means. And Jesus said, um, you know, uh, a rich person, I mean, for a rich person is really difficult to go into heaven, but it is possible for God because there is nothing impossible for God. Uh, and then uh, he said, uh, he said that, I mean, Jesus said that, you know, uh, everyone who, uh, you know, uh, uh, who left homes, lands, and fathers, mothers, and children, and follow me uh, will have hundredfold in the kingdom of heaven. And then he said that, had uh, said this, uh, the words, many who are first will be last and the last first. So here, uh, the first thing we need to do to understand the parable is to understand this, this uh, discourse that happened uh, between Jesus and the disciples regarding the rich young man. And uh, so let me ask the question, um, who will be, I mean, who do you think are those who are the first, but who will be the last? And who are the, those who, will, who are last, but who will be last? I mean, last, but first. Okay, I'm sorry. All right, so yeah, yeah. just okay. to clarify, yeah, yeah. you're asking who are those yeah. who are identified initially yeah. as the first and will eventually be the last, yeah. and who are those who are 
That's right. last, but will be first. According to this section. According the, to, the, to this. Yeah. All right. Just so y'all are on the same page with us. So when I look at this, uh, the events of the rich young ruler interaction with Jesus, it does stand out that he's really concerned with what can I do to receive salvation. He is working from the framework of a mindset that believes you can earn your salvation. He is a works-based righteousness person. And as Jesus addresses him uh, and, and responds to him, Jesus makes it clear that you can't earn your salvation. Because this guy has kept all the laws. Every Mosaic law, he can say, yes, I've done that. But Jesus says, well, there's still something you lack. And that is your greedy heart. You, you go and sell your stuff and give it to the poor, and then you'll be perfect. And this guy can't even do that. So Jesus, in this moment, demonstrates that no one is capable of earning salvation because everyone fails somewhere. And then Jesus goes on to talk about the difficulty of the rich going to heaven, as, as Minka has pointed out, but says that even in, in such cases, nothing's impossible with God. Because the point Jesus is ultimately establishing is that you can't earn salvation, but salvation is not an impossibility for God. It's not an impossibility because salvation from, is a grace-based thing. So what, what Jesus does here is he takes this mindset that the rich young man has, that salvation is earned, and he flips it and teaches that salvation is a gift from God. And so when we get here to this point where we're defining who are the first that will eventually be last and who are the last that will eventually be the first, in my opinion, I think he's indicating that those who are first are those who, like the rich young man, believe they can earn their, their salvation, and they're going to find out that that's not how it works. And as a result, they're going to end up being the last. And the ones who are currently the last are the ones who realize, I, I don't deserve heaven. I can't earn heaven. And so they're throwing themselves on the grace of God to receive salvation, and they are the ones who will ultimately then be first because of God's grace. So in, in, in my opinion, the, the, the ones that are first who will be last are the ones who have a works-based concept of righteousness, and the ones who are last that will be first are the ones who understand the grace aspect of righteousness. I would have to agree that, I, I mean, I think that's... Basically, the only way to see this is that the first are those who think that they are right with God. Those who are seen as at the top of the society at that time, the culture of that day, the people that are looked upon as the best and who come across as if they have it all together. Those are the first. Those are the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day. And then the last would obviously be those on the fringes of society, those who are on uh, the outcasts, the, the lepers, the blind, the poor, uh, the Samaritans, the tax collectors, all those people that we see throughout the Gospels that are seen as the last. They're the last uh, in ranking, so to speak. But when it comes to Jesus, those who think that they are right, that's not always the case. And that's been a theme of, of the parable study that we've been having Many of the parables that we've been going over is Jesus trying to plead with those who assume that they're okay by telling them it might not be that case that you're okay. In fact, it might be the case, and it probably is the case, that those that you do not think are okay, those are the ones 
that are right with me. Those are the ones that have the more chance to be right with me because they haven't closed their heart off. They haven't shut their heart off to me. They're willing to accept my words. They're willing to accept my teachings and accept me as the Son of God. Whereas all these people who see themselves as first, they don't open their heart to me at all. And so I think that's why we see in verse 30 of chapter 19, he starts off this thought with, but many who are first will be last and last first. And then he closes off the text we're going to be talking tonight in verse 16 of chapter 20 with the same exact thought. It's bookends, as you were talking about, Mingu. Uh, it, 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 it bookends this thought of, if you think you're right with God, that can be good, but it can also be bad. Because you start to rest on your laurels, you start to rest on your own righteousness, like Kyle was talking about, instead of understanding that you're hopelessly lost without Jesus. No matter how many works, no matter how many righteous things you do, all of us are hopelessly lost without Jesus. And that's what I believe this phrase, the last shall be first and the first shall be last, is, is trying to talk about. Jesus is trying to wake them up and, and help them understand None of you are righteous without me. In fact, your righteousness is useless in comparison to me. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's, he, he's talking to these people who think that their righteousness is, is where it's at. But at the end of the day, their righteousness is going to put them last. Whereas those who don't have any righteousness have more chance of being first. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's absolutely right. I think everything that's been said so far, so just not to echo that, maybe one other thing that maybe could be brought out is how these two groups could be seen. And in, in, in chapter 19, verses 16 through 22, we have this idea of this rich young ruler, and we have to stop for, for a second, kind of, okay, what does this guy look like to the crowd? To the crowd? The title that we call him is the rich young ruler because we know that he's young for one thing, but verse 22, for he was one who owned much property. So to the crowd, this man looks like he has everything going well for him. He's living a good life. He's able to publicly, to a, a, a well-respected teacher, profess in verse 19, verse 20, all these things I've kept. And look what he's kept. I haven't committed murder, adultery, I haven't stole, I haven't uh, bore false witness. Uh, I showed honor to my father and mother. But he also public, publicly admits to this too, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this is a guy that we could almost say, if, if someone that the whole community in the neighborhood would say, that's right. This man is doing well. He's got, he's got property. He's going, doing well in his life. He's able, you know, he's able to admit to following the law in these ways. In a lot of, a lot of ways, you could say, man, that guy's first. If, he, if, if there are going to be blessings handed out, he is first in line. But then as soon as he's actually challenged... I think that first becomes last because we know that we see his heart's not in it. And then the contrast of that, the last, look down at verse 29. Jesus then contrasts the true group of people who are rewarded. Everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, wives, children, farms for my namesake, will receive, will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. These are the people, people that already look like outcasts. They've left their homes. They've left their farms. They've left that young, that property that could be theirs, right? They've left their families even. And that's that group that right now maybe looks like they're the last. But ultimately, because of what they're, they're sacrificing for, 
they will be the first. So I do love this bookmark that he's building. I've never kind of thought about the rich young ruler as a big context into this too. But I love this, these two bookmarks of leading up to the, the man that looked first, could be last, and the people who actually are, look last but are first. And then he gets into the parable. What is interesting here and, and, and also important here is that the, the criterion that divides the first and last in the kingdom of heaven is, the, is that the person accepts the gospel of Jesus or not. Even though he thinks that he is saved by, by his heritage, by his genealogy, by his some privilege or whatever, but it doesn't matter. But in the kingdom of heaven, only the, the fact that the person received and accepted and you know, lived by the gospel of Jesus is, 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 is what matters. So I think uh, in the kingdom, uh, who will be the first will be those who accepted the gospel of Jesus, and as Carl uh, and other brothers uh, pointed out. Uh, then let's get into the parable itself. Uh, the first, I mean, I will divide it into two sections, uh, to verse 7 and uh, to the uh, last verse of the chapter. I mean, I mean, not chapter, the parable. Let me read the text first. Uh, chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After, greeting, uh, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same, and about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So uh, these are the questions uh, uh, I would like to discuss. Who are the people who are working on the farm from the first hour? And people who were hired later hours? So uh, I think it is, it would be interesting to compare those, uh, these two people with the two kinds of people uh, we identified in the last section, uh, chapter 19. And also one of the questions about this section is that, uh, in chapter, uh, chapter 20, verse uh, 6 and 7, people are standing on the street idle because no one hired them. What does standing idle and hire mean in this parable? So these are the questions about this section. You know, I, when I read this passage, to me, I get this idea that as this master is going out to find workers, it's almost like he shows up at dawn at 6 a.m., that first hour, right? And he gets all the workers that's there. He gets everybody that, can, that he can grab, and he goes, and he, he agrees with them, and they leave. And then, three hours later, he realizes, I'm going to go get some more. And he goes and shows up, and there's more people there, and so he grabs them. And so the first difference I kind of see between the, the, six out, you know, the first hour group there um, in verse, verse 1, and then to the next time he goes on the third hour in verse 3 is 
the early bird, the people who were there as soon as they, they wanted, the ones that wanted to work harder than anybody else. When I drove a school bus, on certain days you would show up and you, there'd be field trips lined up and you could grab a field trip like, yeah, I can do this, I can do that. And you wanted to get there early because you would get the better trips, right? You, you, know, you don't want to maybe do uh, the middle school cheerleading team, right? Because they're going to be screaming the whole way down. I mean, maybe, you know, something like that, right? And so whoever showed up early got the better trips. And we'd have retired, you know, we had a lot of retirees that would drive, and they'd get there like 5.30 in the morning just to get the good trips. And I, that wasn't me, okay? I'd pull whatever trip off the end, because I wanted to get there, you know, I wanted to sleep in a little bit and then get to work. I wasn't as hungry and able as these other men to get there and get that work in. And so one thing I see the difference in these two groups is the first group in verse 1 were those, were those that were there and ready the first time the master came looking. And then as the day goes by, as he's asking and looking for more, you have more and more people that have been standing, maybe showing up a little bit later. Maybe they weren't there at the right time, whatever it may be, standing idle. And so I think the first contrast that, like you said, the first question, when you call back to chapter 19, verses 16 through 30, is that contrast of image. The first people that showed up, you go, wow. They look like they have it together. They really want to work. They're here to earn their denarius. They're here to work, earn their day's wage. Because of their mindset we, and because of how the master rewards people later on, they end up being last. And then the people that maybe didn't make it as big of a priority or didn't, weren't there or just didn't get hired the first time around, those, those are the ones that look last but are rewarded first. So to me, it's, it's right back to this contrast of, of image. That if you looked at and you say, that's the early crowd, that's the ones that need to get paid because they were there first. They look like the ones that worked the hardest. So it's all about, I think, our image that we, we put on that as well. So I, I, I think what's interesting in verse 1 is, is how he starts, and Stan talked about this in his class this morning, if, if you're in that Sunday morning Bible class, starts out by the, the phrase, for the kingdom of heaven is like. And, and he was breaking down what the kingdom of heaven, what, what that definition is. But I think it's interesting for us to note that, that Jesus is talking uh, about the kingdom of heaven here. Okay, and, and we know the kingdom of heaven is both here on earth in the church and the one that is to come. And so it's the already but not yet uh, you know, thing going on there. But when we look at this in terms of the church, when we look at how this applies to the church, we've got to understand uh, that this brings instant application to us tonight. Instant applications to our lives when we think about this vineyard, this vineyard that these workers are working in as the church. Uh, and so let's, let's think about that tonight in terms of what this meant to the original audience as he said this. Um, as, as Jay was saying, the, these first hour people were the people that were there to answer the call early in the morning. And so then you've got the people in the 11th hour who weren't there all day, but not because maybe they were doing things they shouldn't do. We don't see that in the text as much as so much as we see they hadn't been asked. Mm -hmm. uh, where does it say in verse 6 about the 11th hour he found others standing idle and said to them why have you been standing here idle all day and they said because no one hired us said to them go in the vineyard and what is right you'll receive so I want to I want to give this a, a look maybe we haven't looked at before but the first hour person let's look at them and think of them as the Jewish people uh, the, the, the first hour person that, that answered the bell these were the people that had been working all that time in the kingdom of God's people, the assembly of God's people, the 
Israel was known as the Congregation of Israel. All of these years, they had been working for God. They had been working for God. They had been uh, uh, answering that bell, and so they had been working all that time. And so we see that this could be the first being last, because as it goes into what we've been talking about all night is, these people that work the first, from the first beginning time, they're not going to wind up being first because the last is going to come up. And so think about the first being the Jewish people that God chose Abraham's seed through whom all the earth would be blessed, and they agree to the deal. Verse 2. Mm-hmm. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent him out into his vineyard. And that, to me, and some things I was reading, is, is, could be the deal, the, the deal he made with Abraham, the covenant he made with Abraham. I know this is very allegorical or you know, deeper than we may have looked at it before, but think about it from the context of who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to these people that would understand what he was talking about. All right, And then so think about the 11th hour person. It's who we've been talking about, the last. These were the people who were now going to be getting to join the kingdom be a part of the kingdom, be a part of the work. And not because they, hadn't been, they had been lazy or had been doing other things, but because they hadn't been asked. Who were asked? That was the first hour person. That could have been the Jewish people. The Gentiles weren't asked. They weren't asked to be a part of this labor until the 11th hour. But this is the 11th hour now, and now that they're asked, they join. So think about it from that context maybe tonight as we think about how Jesus is ministering to the lepers, to the poor, to the Gentiles, to the Samaritans, to the tax collectors, and all of those people. And so when you think about these last people, a little example of, from, from my life, just, was it last night we went out to eat? Uh, we went out to eat at a restaurant, it was closing in an hour. And here we show up with seven people. I've never worked in a restaurant, but I know that that probably is not what you want as a worker, right? Or not what you want as a business owner. For a family of seven to show up, my family, of seven to show up with seven people with an hour left. We were the 11th hour customer, right? And, and, and they were throwing all the extra chips at us, hoping that we would finish them off, right? We got to get rid of these chips. But we were the 11th hour customer. And so it's, it's, it's that question, do we let these people in? Are we going to have enough time to finish their meal by the time it's time to close up? Think about it from that perspective. These 11th hour people understand that if they get to work in the kingdom, if they get to work in the vineyard, it's because they got in by the skin of their teeth. And that's the 11th hour servant. It's these people that understand they've been given an opportunity to be in the kingdom. It's not, it's not a task. It's, it's, it's not a chore the way it was for the first hour person. It's an opportunity. And so there's going to be some more thoughts on that later, but think about it from that perspective. Being the 11th hour servant, finally getting the opportunity, finally getting called to go work in this kingdom of heaven. One last thing I find interesting between the first group and the other groups is that the first group, the ones called in verse 2, verse 1 and 2, 
they're the only ones that have a specific negotiated price. They're the only ones in the parable who are told, this is exactly what you're going to receive at the end of the day. So, so then you look at verse um, 4, when uh, the, the landowner is, or the master of the house is negotiating with the second group he called, he says, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will pay you. It's not a set amount. It's not a specific amount. So the first group has a definite expectation of what they're going to receive at the end. The second group, and, and likely the others, had uh, just a generic expectation. They probably were hoping for a specific amount, but weren't sure what it was going to be because the way the parable's told, it's not detailed. And so when you get to the end of the parable, and there's this frustration that we'll see in just a moment, there's this, di different, there's this difference between the two groups, because one specifically assumes they're going to, to uh, be better off than the others, and it has to do with the fact that they had specific negotiations early on. The expectations are different between the two groups. And, and to me, that just stands out because... Oftentimes, our expectations impact um, our attitudes toward things. And so, uh, while I, I certainly agree with Ben that there is some allegory here for the, the entrance of the Jews into the kingdom and then the entrance of the Gentiles into the kingdom, it's also worth acknowledging that there's some variance of expectation that has a bearing on the attitudes and, and perceptions and outcomes of the story. And, and it causes us, in my opinion, to have to reflect and think, what. What are my expectations? What are my assumptions? What are my preconceived notions? And do they need to be checked in some fashion? But uh, the other thing to notice here, uh, Mingu had asked about the, the ones who are deemed idle. And, and Ben mentioned this very briefly. But notice that the ones that are idle, it may not be because they wanted to be idle. It may not be because they're just absolutely 100% lazy. It may just be because no one's asked them to work yet. And so there is, there is a facet in this parable that there are still people who have the opportunity to hear, to be invited to the kingdom, and, and, and to accept that invitation. So we also should acknowledge that the, the idle ones, it may not be their fault that they're not working. It may be because they haven't been asked yet. I appreciate your comments, and um, Ben, I think that allegory uh, works here, you know, uh, especially when we compare these two kinds of people, two groups of people with the groups of people in the chapter 19 we discussed, then, you know, that is a very good way to connect those people. I mean, uh, and also I, I like the comments that uh, Kyle made, their attitude, their mindset or understanding. Uh, so here, I would like to uh, point out one thing that uh, before we go, uh, that they, they wanted to be hired. So somebody had to go there, should go there to call them to work. And that is really important thing. So these people are those, uh, these people who came to the vineyard in the late hours are those probably those who received the gospel of Jesus, I mean, in the parable, and they accepted it. So 
uh, we will discuss this in the uh, uh, in the last half of the uh, parable. But you know, the gospel of Jesus is the key to divide people uh, who were before except uh, before the acceptance of the gospel and. Uh, who accepted the gospel or not. So I think that is the important key to understand this parable still. And uh, I believe uh, we will get a better understanding uh, as we go to the next section. I will read it um, first. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, hold the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired uh, about the 11th hour came, each of them received the denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, the last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. So here the, uh, are the questions that I would like to uh, ask you guys. Uh, verse 27, uh, verse 20, I mean, chapter 20, verse 9 says, they who were working from the first hour expected to receive more, and they grumbled when they received the denarius of wage. What does this tell us regarding who they were, and what kind of mindset is it? So another question. According to uh, chapter, tw uh, chapter 20, verse 14, what does the wage symbolize in this parable? When I look at uh, this idea in verses 9 and 10 about the, the first hour servant not being pleased with their wage, um, with their payment for the work that they had done, you know, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. Let's talk about us tonight in the church. I see these people that are the first hour servant who believe that what they do for the kingdom, what they do for the vineyard is deserving of more than what other people do, than what other people are able to put towards the, vineyard, towards the vineyard, towards the kingdom of God. And when we get in that mindset, what Kyle was talking about, this works-based faith, this work, this meritorious, based on our merit faith, we have a bunch of people who are punching the clock and waiting until the work is finished. Instead of it being an opportunity to be in the vineyard, to be in the kingdom in the first place, it has become to them a job. It has become to them a chore that they accomplish. It has become to them a task that has been placed upon them and they are punching out the clock and we've all been there before where we're ready, we've got somewhere to be, we, we, we are very excited about the weekend perhaps, and you just punch out the clock for the rest of the day. You cannot wait for it to be done. 
instead of looking at it as I am loving working in this job, you look at it as I'm just punching out the clock. I can't wait till I get to go home. I can't wait till I get to go on this trip or whatever the case might be. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, we can't be that way. We can't be people that are just punching out the clock, excited uh, for the end of it. We've got to be people who work until the time is up. We've got to be people until the master of the vineyard comes around and calls the day. That's when we can end it. That's when we can be proud of the job that we've done. That's, that's what Jesus is trying to say about this first hour servant. He's not happy about working in the kingdom. He's only, I'm only in it for what I can get. I'm only in it for the ways that I can get or what I've been promised. I'm only in it for this promise of heaven. It's not about being with God. It's about the golden street. It's not about being with Jesus. It's about the mansion. And we sing the song, Mansion, Robe, and a Crown. We sing the song, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. And that helps us get through this life sometimes and helps us understand how great heaven's going to be. But I think it sometimes helps us misunderstand the real point of heaven. And that is that we're going to get to dwell with God. We're going to get to be in the presence of God. Uh, we listen to uh, bluegrass music sometimes growing up. 105.7. And, and, and we would listen to this all the time. And there was this song I'll never forget. He says in the most backwoods country accent you could ever imagine, which I don't have. But he says in this accent, it wouldn't matter to me if the streets of gold were a little dirt road and my mansion was made of naughty pine. Just as long as I could see the one who gave his life for me and sit down and talk to him a little while. And that's the attitude I think we should get from this parable and, and, and from our life in the kingdom and in the vineyard of God that it doesn't matter to me how much I get paid. It doesn't matter to me how big my mansion is as long as I get to be there. As long as I get to see it with my eyes. As long as I get to feel and, and experience what it means to be with God. Don't worry about the payment. Don't worry about the promise. Worry about making it. Worry about seeing if you're going to get to be with the master of the vision. You know, so when I think about the question that Mingu posed, the, the question being, you know, who are these complainers, these first hour workers? And I don't think this is the answer he was looking for, but as I read the parable, all I could say is, they're us. We're just like these guys. Do you know why? Because as Americans, one of our greatest values is fairness, and there's nothing fair about this parable. And that aggravates us. We think like these first-hour workers do. They deserve more than that 11th-hour worker. We so love fairness that it is uncomfortable to us when things aren't fair. This is discriminatory from our perspective and we struggle with that but going back to this works-based versus grace-based 
salvation mindset, we have to understand that God's definition of fairness isn't our definition of fairness. And that's okay, because He's God. He can do what He wants. And, and so when I look at this parable, I have to do a really hard self-evaluation and consider my own a mentality toward things and realize that I can be just like these guys. I can be upset that someone's being rewarded instead of me, that someone's receiving more than I'm receiving, that someone's getting more glory than I'm getting. And that is always, always the wrong mindset. And I believe that's what this parable exposes to some degree. So when I look at it and I, and I think about the mindset of these first-hour workers, I see in it a mindset that creeps into us as Christians far too often. Yeah, I agree. I, it's a dangerous th thing when we as workers start worrying about what we deserve. When we start having comments like, well, I deserve a break, or I deserve a little bit more glory, you know, I deserve a little more help here, whatever it may be. When we start, when we start focusing in on this thought of, I need to get what I deserve, and I deserve a lot more than... I think God could quickly tell us, does this mean that you really want me to give you what you deserve? And I don't want that. Amen. I think we're missing the, I think they're missing the point of the blessing of just being able to work that day, right? When we're so, when, and looking into what we've already been talking about, we as the workers in the present kingdom right now, let's just be grateful that we get to work, right? Right. Let's just be happy that we have a master to serve and there's a blessing at the end of our day and that we have a job to get done. And let's not worry about what we deserve. Let's not worry about who's getting paid first because the, the glory, the, the, really the thing is, the glory is just is being able to serve in, in the first place. Um, I lost, there was something else I was going to add to that. And I, can't, I can't think of what it was, but... I'll think about it. Okay. I'll come back. Okay. Yep. Think about that. Um, so, you know, so what is the wage symbolize here? What does the wage symbolize here? I mean, the, I mean, Ben mentioned uh, briefly about the the first verse of this uh, parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. The kingdom of heaven is compared to the man, master of the house. Why? The man gives the same to people who came into the vineyard for work. So the kingdom of heaven is the wage. Being in the kingdom of heaven is the wage. It can be different. It cannot be different to individuals, individual souls. So what Jesus means here is that enter it. That's all, that is all about the kingdom of heaven. Enter it. Entering it, you know, you will get everything. Even if you get, it to get into it late, it doesn't matter. If, I mean, only if you get into it, you get all. You will get all. So what matters is to enter it. So being in the kingdom of heaven is all the glory that we can get. I mean, it cannot be more, it cannot be less. Everyone in the kingdom of heaven will get the same glory. That's the point. 
So, like Kyle mentioned, you know, if we try to think that we can get more, I mean, we deserve more, or, or we can expect more because such and such reasons, that is, uh, is, is missing the point of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that's the point that the Pharisees and scribes and the, you know, uh, stubborn Jewish people missed. So we should not be like that. So I appreciate your comments. Uh, Jay, did you? Understand? Oh, it was just a small illustration. I, I remember when I was in college, I had a professor tell me in a youth min in a class that was it was uh, directed towards those who were going into youth ministry. He said, your job mainly is going to be moving tables and chairs. So just get used to that. But what an amazing thing that you get to do, that you get to serve the kingdom of Christ by just getting to move tables and chairs at times. And he challenged us on that and kind of thought, you know, he said, you know, ministry in general and, and serving the kingdom, we all know this. There's a lot of things that are great. We get to sit up here and we get to conduct this Bible study, but there's just as much honor after this as when we walk out of here if we're picking up trash and being able to do things and, and having a, a small conversation with somebody, encouraging somebody. There, and it, there's just as much purpose in that and setting up and breaking down events to help things go smooth. It's just the beauty of getting to work. So that was just a small thing I had forgotten. Was, and Jay, and, you're great at moving tables and chairs. Hey, that's right, man. Do it all the time. Any other thoughts about this parable before we finish? Yeah, when, when we think about application, um, I think all of us have to understand uh, what we've talked about all night, but I, I think ultimately we're all the first hour servant, but we're also all the 11th hour servant in that none of us deserve to be in the vineyard. None of us deserve to be working. And none of us deserve to be in the kingdom. But the fact is, we've been given that opportunity. And when I think about the 11th hour servant in this parable, when I think about the workers in the vineyard, I'll never forget my brother James McDonald. James was, many of you know, uh, terminally ill cancer patient that Jay and I had the opportunity to come across because of Christy Howard and, and some others. We were able to study with him and baptize him into Christ. And we didn't know how much time he had left, but James understood he had no business being in the kingdom of God. But God let him in it anyway. And I think that's, that's such a powerful thought for us and we all need to see ourselves in that light. No one, no matter how many white hairs you have, has worked to the point that you deserve to be where you're at. All of us deserve, Romans 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the, that's the takeaway for me tonight is to remember that I'm no better than James, I'm no better than any of you, and none of us are, regardless of how long we've been working in the vineyard. It's a great application, and let me throw this one out there. When you look at this parable, notice how the first hour workers are comparing themselves to the last hour workers, and they think they're better. 
if you are operating from a comparison mindset where you're comparing yourself to other flawed human beings, then your comparison is far too low. Because the, real, the, the reality is we're supposed to be comparing ourselves to God. That's why Jesus said, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Comparing yourself to another Christian is like claiming to be the strongest person alive because you can uh, lift a toy that an infant can't. Or, or, or claiming to be the fastest person alive because you outran a toddler. Or claiming to be the smartest person alive because you defeated your child at tic-tac-toe. It's a, too low of a comparative standard. So don't compare yourselves to other flawed humans. Only compare yourself to God. And that puts you in the proper context of understanding what you deserve in the, from this life. You know, again, I think it's dangerous when we, as brothers and sisters, get jealous. We feel slighted when other brothers and sisters get a little bit more honor than we do. Maybe we shared some work. Maybe we were both there. Maybe we had the idea, whatever it may be. But when we have another brother or sister, we have someone else that, well, you know, they, get, they got to do that, and they were recognized this, and, and we have that moment in our hearts where we feel jealous or slighted or upset. And we're missing the idea that Paul said when he says, when one member of the body gets honored, the whole body gets to enjoy that honor. That's right. I can't wait to be surprised who I see in, in, who's in heaven. You know what I'm saying? I, I can't wait to be sitting around with those in heaven and just overjoyed with those that I see. And your comment about James, that, that's exactly right. If I see him in line, I'm pushing him up front. That's right, you know. He's, that's a great, that was a great point. 11th hour appreciates it a lot more. You know, the church of Christ is the kingdom of heaven on earth. So we are the kingdom of heaven. And being in the kingdom of heaven is everything. I mean, it's not all until we you know, go to heaven uh, permanently. But, but I think it is, uh, I, as if I can say that it is everything, it is most important thing to get into the kingdom of heaven. So you know how to do it. You know, repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And we will be in the kingdom of heaven right away. So anybody who needs who needs or who wants to get into the kingdom of heaven tonight, don't hesitate. This is the best opportunity and earliest opportunity for you. And thank you guys and thank you for, uh, thank you everyone for attending and I will finish this study with a prayer. I mean, with a prayer, Kyle. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we are grateful for another evening that we could study your word and it is our prayer that we will be workers in your kingdom who aren't worried about anything but being with you for eternity. Help us, Lord, to have the right focus and the, the right intentions and the right objectives. And Lord, tonight we were reminded of how blessed we are that you poured out your grace on us through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And may we never take for granted that salvation is from you and not from us. Lord, we love you, and it is through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.